Welcome to Sound Waves at St. Bede's, a weekly podcast of St. Bede's Episcopal Church in Los Angeles, California, a vibrant and inclusive community of faith serving Venice, Playa Vista, Mar Vista, Ocean Park, Santa Monica, and beyond. Each week, Sound Waves features the sermon from last week's Sunday's worship services. In addition, as often as possible, we share selections from the extraordinary St. Bede's music program update our listeners on church news, and convey the stories of our faith as we live out our baptismal covenant. As always, we invite you to worship with us at St. Bede's on Sundays at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. Additional information and directions to our church campus can be found on our website, stbedesla.org, S-T-B-E-D-E-S-L-A.org. Thank you for listening. May the love of Christ be with you today and always. This morning, I want to talk about the most dangerous word or one of the most dangerous words in the English language. How about that for a tease? But first, I want to do something that one of my preaching professors railed against. I want to tell you a personal story. About two years ago in a month, right before COVID really had become part of our our vernacular, as it was just beginning to, to reach the North American continent, My daughter um, came home from preschool with pink eye. And, you know, we did what we normally do with any, you know, toddler or infant at that time. You know, we took care of her. And soon thereafter, I started not to feel well. Um, We then later on went up to the Episcopal Conference Center just outside of Yosemite National Park in Oakhurst where the Diocese of San Joaquin had a retreat center and I was there for two different conferences. Thought not much of it other than I started not to feel well. Um, So much so that one evening I had significant chest pain. But, you know, I was... 44, I was cycling 100, 150 miles a week. I was in pretty good shape, and I felt like I didn't really have any risk factors. So, like most people my age with those uh, symptoms, I brushed it off. Um, They continued on for uh, a couple of days, and ultimately on a Saturday, um, Aaron and, and Lexi happened to be up for that portion of the conference. I looked at them, looked at my bishop, and I said, I need to go to the hospital. Something's wrong. Something's not adding up. So I get to the hospital in, in Fresno and the, um, go through the normal checkup, and immediately um, when the tech took my EKG, I could just see his face change. I knew something was wrong. But I didn't have any of the usual factors, and so they did a test. They showed that I had an elevated troponin, so that basically said that my heart was under stress. They did the, uh, you know, they put a, um, you know, camera through to see my heart, and I had no blockage. They didn't know what was going on. My wife got involved from her physician side and said, why don't we run this test, these series of tests? And it turned out the pink eye that my daughter had gotten, I had gotten. 
But instead of making a left turn and going to my eye, it went, made a right turn and decided that it wanted to attack my heart. So much so that it caused a significant heart attack, significant damage to the muscle of my heart, and I began quarantining in home before any of us knew that that's what we were going to do at the beginning of the pandemic. That experience, and there's a lot more to it, but that experience taught me a lot. It tested me a lot. One of the takeaways that I took from that whole experience was that I realized that I spent most of my life changing, uh, ch chasing the next goal, the next opportunity. And the chase was enjoyable and it kept me busy and it kept me out of trouble. But my brush with death revealed to me that I had lost sight of God's plan for me. Secondly, I realized that I needed to make an adjustment. I needed to allow the journey to shape me rather than me attempting to shape the journey. For those of you who've gotten to know me over these last couple of months, you've learned I'm kind of organized, I'm kind of type A, so you can imagine how challenging this is. The idea is that I don't get to control my journey. Bet you some of you are in the same boat as me. And I think one of the ultimate takeaways from this whole experience of lying in a hospital bed, wondering if I'm even going to be able to raise my infant daughter, wondering if I'm going to ever be able to return to active ministry, wondering if I'm ever going to just see the light of day. One of the takeaways is best summed up in the words of the great theologian Bob Dylan. There is nothing so stable as change. There is nothing so stable as change. Change is one of the most dangerous words in the English language. Change is hard and change is inevitable. If you think about it, we spend so much of our times in our lives fighting against change or at least attempting to stall change. And if we aren't fighting against change, then we're fighting for change. Depending on the change, we usually find ourselves fearing or embracing change, loathing or promoting change. Now, what happens when the change goes against us? We say, oh, what a disaster. We label it as unfair. We call it wrong. We get angry. I was angry lying in that hospital bed some days. When the change worked for us, we praise it as transformational. We call it a blessing and we adopt it as our own. The bulk of wars are fought either for the cause of change or the resistance of change. The bulk of disagreements in relationships is because of change or the resistance to change.
the bulk of human drama, pain, and grief is because of change or the resistance to change. There's a parable of a Chinese farmer whose horse ran away. Sorry about that. And the neighbors came around to commiserate that evening, and they say to him, so sorry to hear that your horse ran away. That's too bad. And the farmer said, maybe. The next day, the horse came back, bringing seven wild horses with it, and everyone came that evening celebrating, saying, oh, how wonderful, how lucky this is. What a great turn of events. And the farmer says, maybe. The next day, his son tried to break in one of the horses, and as, was he, as he was riding it, he was thrown from the horse, and he breaks his leg, and all of his friends say, oh, my gosh, you must be so sad that your son has broken his leg. It's so terrible. And the farmer says, maybe. The following day, the military comes, and they recruit by force people into the army, and they reject his son because he has a broken leg. And all the people came around and said, isn't that great? And the farmer said, How we cope and change, manage change is a matter of perspective. On the mountaintop, Peter's perspective was clouded. Peter had a lot to lose on that mountaintop. Jesus had literally transformed right before Peter's eyes. to thwart the change that had happened. Peter suggests that they build three dwellings and stay on top of the mountain. Why? Because Peter knew from that moment on things were going to be different, very different for Jesus, for the disciples, and for Jesus' followers. <coughs> the mission and ministry would be even more intense. More people would be seeking out Jesus to be healed, to be restored, to be cleansed. The crowds would get larger and they would press on Jesus more and more and crowd them. Peter feared losing Jesus, his friend, his pastor, his teacher, and his mentor. He feared losing Jesus to the crowd, to the crowd of strangers. Peter knew on that mountaintop he was losing his personal Jesus. Now, I've sat through a fair amount of leadership training conferences and seminars throughout my lifetime and in those gatherings we're always taught that people don't like change leaders of communities of faith business leaders spend lots of time and money money and a great deal of energy 
dealing with change, managing change, and proactively dealing with upcoming change. Sometimes they're dealing from the fallout of change. We teach future leaders people are afraid of change. Is it really change that we fear? Is it really change that we fear? I don't think that we are afraid of change. What I think we are afraid of is loss. When things change, things will be gained and things will be lost. We resist change because we fear losing something that matters to us. A colleague leaves a job and we won't see them ever again. A neighbor moves away to another state. A rector leaves a congregation. We resist change because we fear losing something that matters. We fear losing power and control and influence. Peter definitely was concerned because he knew the minute that he went down from that mountain, he would not have the same authority. This wasn't a small movement anymore. We fear losing our autonomy, our opportunity, and our advantage. All you have to look at is all of the decisions, or at least most of the decisions, from both sides of the political parties. When they make decisions, they fear change because they fear losing their autonomy, their opportunity, and their advantage. We fear losing our purpose, our past, our history. We fear losing our passion. We fear losing others. And I think we most importantly fear losing ourselves. We fear losing ourselves. I had that fear. I probably still do have that fear. But I'll tell you, lying in an ICU bed, staring at a one-and-a-half-year-old who could barely say, Dada, I was afraid of losing myself. What changes in this world is not God. What changes in this world is not God's will. What changes in this world is not God's love. What changes in this world are our hearts and our minds. If we have the courage to see change not as a loss of something, but as an extraordinary opportunity that God invites us to experience. God invited Peter up on to that mountaintop. God invited him to see the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. God invited him into the, mini the ministry of being a disciple. It was not something that he lost. It was something that he gained. God invites all of us, even amid change, 
into new experiences and new opportunities. Change is a blessing. Change will test us. We all know that. I don't need to tell you that, but change tests us. Change will stir us. Who hasn't been stirred by change? Change will change us. We can spend a lifetime of fighting change. We can attempt to obstruct and stall change by the walls we build and the decisions we make. However, in the end, it is never about that which is perceived as being changed. It's about us. It's about ourselves. Change is a blessing. Embracing change means we're opening our hearts and minds to God's will. Change means we are drawing closer to the kingdom of God. Change means that we are being transfigured by being in the presence of our life-changing Christ. I don't need to tell you that our world is right now flooded with change. But it is. Our lives are flooded with change. This congregation is flooded with change. But what has not changed is God's love for us and God's will for us. I want to invite us as we embark on this next chapter as a community of faith and as people of God to see change for what it is, a blessing, a blessing from God. Amen.
Thank you for listening to Soundwaves at St. Beads. If you want to learn more about St. Beads, we invite you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at St. Beads LA. If you like Soundwaves, please leave us a review on Apple iTunes. Our worship services on Sunday are at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you are welcome at St. Beads. Additional information and directions to our church campus can be found on our website, stbeadsla.org, S-T-B-E-D-E-S-L-A.org. Thank you again for listening, and may you be blessed this day and every day by God's unconditional love and eternal grace.